The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Hey, what's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 275 for Wednesday, February 25th, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. As always, My Take Radio is a show with adult language and content. Occasionally, listener and viewer discretion is advised. If you are tuning in for the first time, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. Our wrestling and MMA portions broadcast every Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, and our gaming and entertainment episodes are every Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. If you are on mtrlive.com right now, you will notice that we do not have a video feed, unfortunately. Uh bit out of my control i apologize nonetheless we do have a 96k mixler audio feed in full effect and of course archived episodes will be available on itunes stitcher and tune in radio i am recording video for the show and it will be uploaded to our youtube channels both my take radio tv and official rage works make sure you subscribe to either one of those channels to get video episodes of the show all right so a lot of crazy stuff going on, um, little little changes in schedule last week, and of course this week we do have both episodes on deck. Uh, winter has not been uh, very good to me here uh, in New York City. I had a uh, broken pipe in my bathroom due to the cold. I got a leak in the basement that started this past weekend. I got a broken gutter. I got an issue with the ceiling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the... the uh, the winter has not been good to us, constant, you know, 20 degree days, sub-zero days, and uh, it's taken its toll, uh, definitely has me more agitated than usual, which um, sometimes, I guess, fuels better creativity, but um, yeah, that's kind of what's been going on here. Um, a couple of things I wanted to bring you guys up to speed on. First thing, we are beta testing forums just to see how they're going to work out. I've been beta testing uh, some different forum programs on a um, beta server just to see how they work out. And I'm still debating if we are going to implement them on Rageworks. Uh, kind of been teetering with testing a group 
on Facebook versus the forum, of course. But again, I would like to get a broader audience versus just Facebook. And with that, obviously, you will need a forum. I think that the fragmentation of our audience is is just a a big pain in the ass. I don't like that our audience is so split. And I really want to create a central hub for you guys to interact and talk about all the latest stuff in gaming, MMA, wrestling, pop culture, collectibles, you know, all the stuff we discuss on air and cover on the site. So, um, again, once once I kind of have a firm plan of attack, maybe like I said uh, last week and the week before, I will invite a couple of you guys, a couple of our of our diehard listeners to test out the forums let me know what they think and if it's something that they can see themselves using on a consistent basis. Of course, as I said before, it's one of those things where I want to beta test it over the next couple of weeks and see how it pans out. Uh, the other thing that we are talking about was the uh, the My Take Radio migration to RageWorks.net. Of course, we're still moving content over. Uh, we are down to roughly 1,900 uh, posts that are left to be moved over. And we're going to be working with a uh, virtual assistant that I'm going to hire to take care of that stuff only because it's incredibly time consuming. And I want to try and give you guys more content in regards to just all, you know, other other forms of content, audio, video, etc. Um, I believe more than likely this Friday, I'm going to be doing some streaming on our Twitch channel. I'll make sure to include the link for that in the show notes for this week. If you guys are Twitch users you guys can subscribe. I like to stream a lot of the old stuff. I got a pretty deep catalog of older games. Um, some of the stuff is currently on our YouTube channel for My Take Radio. Uh, the, the, we call it our Blast from the Past. We got some Samurai Showdown on there. The original Punisher arcade game, uh, WrestleFest, and a ton of other great classics. So I want to try and dig in the crates, maybe stream a couple of those classics. On Friday, of course, I will definitely announce streaming schedules via social media. You know, do an hour or two. On Friday, maybe break it up a couple of hours. We'll see. We'll see how the day progresses um, as we're going to be also beta testing some other features for the site on Friday. Uh, The other thing I did want to mention is anyone who is interested in writing for RageWorks, uh, definitely feel free to drop me a line with a sample of your work, rich at RageWorks.net, and uh, we can definitely check it out. Um, We've got a really, really good crop of talent, but like anything else, we always want to bring uh, the best and brightest, and I feel that the best and brightest talent comes from our listeners and our readers. Um, a lot of you guys have been on board from the very beginning. We got a lot of new faces involved as well that have been contributing some really, really great content over the last couple of years. So again, if you're interested in giving it a shot, uh, very easy uh, requirements, uh, you know, one 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 post a week, four, epi- four posts a month. Uh, Knowledge of WordPress is is definitely a must. Uh, if not, of course, we definitely have tutorials and stuff for the back end, which I do provide along with some other things. But again, if that's something any of you guys are interested, drop me a line, rich at rageworks.net or mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. The other thing I wanted to mention to you guys, of course, this is our 275th episode. We are 25 episodes away from MTR 300. And with that, over the next couple of weeks, we are going to be doing um we're going to be bringing back some guests some fan favorites to do some shows with us uh we're going to dip into um uh, some some guys who you guys are very familiar with but we also got a couple of of guys on deck that we're going to bring on board a couple of new faces that will do some live shows maybe some mtr behind the mic and mtr beyond the mic interviews 
So we will also be doing that in the cup in the coming weeks. We got one really, really big guest that we're trying to finalize. Cannot announce it yet. Um, hoping that it does come together. Cause if it does, you guys are going to go crazy. Um, I will say the only, the only hint I'll give you guys is the uh, DC universe. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, DC universe is the only hint you will get for the time being. Um, that could be comic book, cinematic or TV. Draw your own conclusions, but I figured I'll dangle that carrot out there for that. Once I get something completed and finalized, of course, I will make sure to share it and announce it across all our social platforms. All right, so what's on deck for tonight? We're going to be talking about UFC Fight Night. We are definitely going to talk about WWE Fastlane. We're going to get into Raw. We're going to talk about this whole Divas controversy that has been floating around these last couple of days. AJ Lee, Stephanie McMahon, the comments that Brie Bella made at Wizard World that I talked about before, and a ton of other stuff. Plus, we are going to be taking your calls. Again, quick reminder, we do not have a video feed on GFQ at the moment, unfortunately, but I am recording video, so we will definitely have video of this week's episode on My Take Radio's YouTube channel and also on our RageWorks channel as well. All right, so let's get that ball rolling. Let's jump into this week's MMA, shall we? As always, My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. Find purveyors of MMA apparel, training gear, and so much more. Make sure to check them out at MMAWarehouse.com. Also look for their banners and promo codes on RageWorks.net. So I do want to talk about UFC Fight Night this past weekend. Um, It really was uh, poorly planned because it aired alongside WWE Fastlane, so I actually had to watch both of them on tape delay, and I'll be honest, the bulk of the UFC Fight Night pay-per-view, I well, UFC Fight Night television event, I did fast-forward through, not because I didn't think the fights were any good, but just because it, it was one of those things where there were only certain fights I really, really wanted to see. I'm sure most of you guys did the same thing, and this goes back to what I said before about an oversaturation of cards leading to people just not being able to focus their attention on the cards that matter. I totally forgot that this card was even in the works up until Tuesday night when I did the show Wednesday. And even then Saturday came and went and I totally forgot about it. Luckily I had it set on the, uh, the DVR to tape um, again, a couple of great fights on that card. Um, uh, women's bantamweight fight between Marion Renault and Jessica Andrade was very good. Um, a very solid fight with beautiful technique from Marion Renault who secured the victory via submission triangle choke in the first round. Definitely a solid performance from the ladies in the bantamweight class. Again, a division that you really need to keep your eye on. Uh, This weekend, of course, Ronda Rousey, Kat Zingano uh, squaring off for the women's bantamweight title. Um, Again, the ladies division is slowly picking up steam, slowly starting to round itself out, and really has um, a wealth of great talent. I know that the women's straw weights, of course, are no joke either, and there are a couple of fights on deck for those ladies in that division that I want to share with you guys. The other fight that I really, really wanted to check out was, and, and this fight was only because Rustam Kabilov is a guy who I've followed uh, quite a bit 
Uh, Rustam Kabilov took on Adriano Martins. Um, of course, this was a lightweight tilt with a very, very surprising outcome considering how, how aggressive Rustam Kabilov is in most of his fights. Um, Adriano Martins definitely surprised me as he was the aggressor across the board and took the victory via split decision, um, 28-29, 28-29, uh, excuse me, 28-29, 29-28 across two of the other judges' scorecards. Um, a, a bit of a sloppy fight, but still a fight that was, it was enjoyable. I mean, some people gave all three rounds to Martin. I definitely felt Kabilov started to find his range and kind of start turning it up in the second round. But again, we're not going in for just one round performances. Of course, it is all about the complete fight. And in that regard, Adriano Martins, uh, excuse me, Adriano Martins was the, um, was the victor in a, like I said, it wasn't the greatest fight, but it wasn't terrible either. Now, Michael Johnson and Edson Barboza was a fight that was on my radar and Ben did a great job of really just piquing my interest in the fight. Uh, Michael Johnson looked pretty solid in the fight. Edson Barboza is not an easy challenge. On the contrary, Edson Barboza is a guy who's always been talked about in contention or at least near top five or in the realm of just challenging for the title. Uh, solid performance from Michael Johnson. He takes the fight via unanimous decision. Um, like I said, it was a, a solid fight, a good performance by Michael Johnson. And um, it's interesting where this is going to place him in the rankings. I really would like to see him get maybe one more fight before rumors of him uh, getting a lightweight title opportunity continue to take shape. Like I said, I feel one more fight maybe with a with a top four in the division or maybe the top three would definitely solidify an opportunity for the ultimate fighter standout. Now, of course, the big the big main event, Frank Mir, Antonio Bigfoot Silva. I really thought that this fight was going to be either very, very quick and very sudden or very terrible. And I am so happy that it was the first one instead of the second as Frank Mir separates Antonio Bigfoot Silva from his consciousness in the first round. Um, Pretty, pretty standard start with uh, Frank Mir working the orthodox instead of his usual southpaw. Um, Mir started working the jab a bit. And what happened was that Bigfoot Silva threw a kick, which he missed. And Frank Mir just floored him with a left hand. At that point, it was academic with hammer fists and elbows. And um, that was it. I have a feeling that this might be the last time we see Antonio Bigfoot Silva, as we've said before and talked about on numerous shows. Um, you know, it's one of those things where this guy, he got popped for PEDs and then got cut loose. I mean, well, not cut loose. Uh, excuse me. He was suspended for PEDs. And of course, this devastating loss that he suffered. Um, I'm sure that his next fight is going to be the fight that's going to dictate if he remains a UFC fighter or if he gets cut and we see Antonio Bigfoot Silva in another promotion. Um, it's definitely going to be interesting where they go from there. The heavyweight division is incredibly stacked. They got a lot of talented fighters. And I'm curious as to where this puts Frank Mir. Um, Frank Mir is definitely not a slouch. Of course, it's always the big gag of which Frank Mir is going to show up for the for the fight. But definitely was I was impressed with his striking. And, um, you know, I think Bigfoot Silva is developing the old glass jaw. Like I said, we'll see if they give him another fight and if that fight's going to be the one that makes the UFC cut him loose. All right, so let's talk about the the rest of the MMA news for the week, which of which there were quite a few. 
Um, $50,000 bonuses were handed out to Sam Alvey, Marion Renault, and Matt Dwyer. Frank Mir also got a bonus for performance of the night. There was no fight of the night bonus, which is understandable considering that most of the fights were pretty meh. <laughs> you know, they were pretty, they were okay. Like I said, definitely a TV card and not a good TV card at that. But I do want to talk about some cards that are taking shape that are looking incredibly impressive. I think 2015 over the next couple of months is going to lead to amazing fights in the UFC. Uh, the first fight I want to talk about, uh, the first card I want to talk about, excuse me, is UFC 187, which is tremendous. And I'll tell you guys why. Uh, John Jones versus Anthony Johnson uh, is the main event. Your co-main event, Chris Weidman, Vitor Belfort, finally going to happen unless Vitor conveniently gets bagged for PEDs or another injury damages the card but definitely that is your main and co-main events for the evening also donald cerrone and khabib Nurmagomedov are finally going to square off uh this is a tremendous tremendous card you got two title fights one fight that's definitely going to be a title qualifier but not only that but some other fights were added as well including andre arlovsky and travis brown and Joe Benavidez and John Moraga. Of course, more fights will be announced over the coming weeks, but UFC 187 is definitely going to be the one to watch. That goes down May 23rd at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. So, again, we got some really, really awesome fights on deck. UFC 187 is definitely a a card that's worth ordering. You know, we always joke about, is this a, is this a $60 card? And I think with two title defenses and one... Um, contender qualifying fight it's definitely in that in that realm for sure um as more fights take shape of course i will share it with you guys now we talked at length last week about the the whole ped situation we talked about anderson silva and all the other fighters and of course the nevada state athletic commission hearing um anderson silva actually released a statement via instagram of all places claiming that he is innocent of all allegations regarding drug use and um, he feels that once the investigation is completed, he will be vindicated. That remains to be seen. Nonetheless, I will um, read. Uh, I will share with you guys his statement, which is as follows: In respect to my fans, I will not say I will not say anything about who I am or what I went through to get here. What matters to me now is the respect from those who have followed my career. I bled, struggled, and fought because I love it and because I wanted to honor the flag of the country I love so much. I don't know what to apologize for because I'm still waiting for the results and analysis from the specialists that are working to reveal the truth. Everything that I took since my injury is being analyzed. I look for the truth as much as all those who were surprised with the results. I've always played clean. I was never a cheater. In 18 years of my career, I never had a problem with exams. In and out of the octagon, I never slipped in compliance with the principles that always guided me. With much honor and dignity, I defended my country wherever I fought. I never used any substances to better my performance in my fights. I love what I do, and I would never, I would never risk that. For I would never risk that, considering how long it took to build. I think that the hurry some people have to condemn me is unfair. The time it takes to destroy a reputation is infinitely less than that is than that is taken to build it. I'm the one who is most eager to settle this situation. I want those who have always supported me to know that I am still fighting for all the sad happenings of this situation to be cleared. Uh, strong words from Anderson Silva via Instagram. I, I continue to say, you know, he got, 
He got popped for a lot of stuff, pre-fight, post-fight. And unless there's a really, really strong case, unless there's really, really strong analysis, all signs point to him being guilty. But like anything else, you, you know, you are innocent until proven guilty in, in, in every aspect. And while, yes, there were those results, there could be a, a wealth of possibilities as to why those results were the way they were, whether they were tainted, altered, or any of those other instances remains to be seen. I'm curious as to what type of analysis is being done and what type of an investigation is being conducted just because, like I said, the Nevada State Athletic Commission was pretty clear with um, the necessity to pretty much suspend all parties involved. I'd, li- I'd like to see Anderson Silva, if, if he was, if he is innocent, I definitely would like to have really, really good concrete information as to what led to his test being that like that. And, um, you know, just, just as a fan, like I said, I followed Anderson Silva career, his career a long time. And, um, it, it's, it's heartbreaking that just one test can just destroy everything that the guy built. If he did, you know, use any banned substances, then, you know, he, he destroyed the career himself, his career himself, excuse me. Otherwise, like I said, if he didn't, I really would like to know where it went wrong and how those results were tainted. I mean, it's easy for us to just pretty much dismiss the guy's entire career. But like I said, the guy's been fighting a long time. He's given us great performances. And I'm really curious to see how it pans out. Once I get some news, I will definitely share it with you guys. Another fight card that was finalized that actually is quite solid as well was the UFC 185 card. Um, Of course, that's going to have two title fights as well. Uh, Anthony Pettis, Rafael Dosanjos for the lightweight title, and Carla Esparza is going to be putting her belt on the line against Joanna Jadrezic for the the strawweight title. Uh, Matt Brown's fighting Johnny Hendricks, which um, everybody thought that, you know, everybody thought that Johnny Hendricks was going to get an immediate rematch. Not the case. He's going to have to go through the immortal Matt Brown to see if he is worthy of that rematch. And Matt Brown has been on a tear lately, so this is definitely going to be a fight that is one for the ages, and it's going to end violently any way you slice it. Um, on the other side, we got Roy Nelson, Alistair Overeem, a very intriguing matchup. And the reason I said this is because, you know, you're looking at Roy Nelson, who's considered the unofficial gatekeeper of the heavyweight division. And you're looking at a guy... In Anderson Overeem, and Ander- Ugh, that was a botch and a half, Anderson Overeem, <laughs> Alistair Overeem, who has been pretty much a a very, a guy who's incredibly marketable, has a tremendous look, but whose performances have left a lot to be desired. And this is something, this is a fight that for me is going to be very, very indicative of where Alistair Overeem's career goes in the UFC because at this point you would expect that he would walk through a guy like Roy Nelson. Roy Nelson is without a doubt a very durable and very dangerous opponent, but Alistair Overeem does have all the tools to secure victory. Obviously his jaw remains suspect, but you would think that he would make some solid work of, you know, big country. But again, as I said, big country is not exactly a pushover either. And this, like I said, will be indicative of what happens with Alistair Overeem. Like I said, he's a guy who I've always, I've always enjoyed watching him fight, whether it's Muay Thai or in the cage, but you know, that jaw, that jaw is incredibly suspect. 
and um, a lot of guys have tagged it, and Roy Nelson's hands are very, very heavy. The, uh, the prelims on FX have some good fights as well. Ross Pearson stamps out is your main event for the prelims. Um, Henry Cajudo is on that card. I almost forgot. He's on the pay-per-view card. He's taking on Chris Carasio. Of course, Henry Cajudo has a lot of fanfare behind him due to his incredible wrestling pedigree. Uh, how he performs in this fight on a bigger stage will be interesting. Jay says, put Overeem in WWE to win the belt off Brock Lesnar. You know what the thing is? Alistair Overeem is such a such an enigma, such a scary-looking individual that you would think that he would be a natural fit in the world of professional wrestling. I mean, who knows? Maybe if his, if his career winds down, that would be a welcome alternative. I think the Reem has, like I said, the right look for that. This is a guy that you would think would be getting more opportunities based on his unique look, but alas, that is not the case. But I definitely wouldn't mind seeing him uh, lace up a pair of boots and get in the ring. I think he would fare well. I think he has the presence and, you know, especially in Japan, if he started to to really work in the dojos in Japan, maybe do a little New Japan pro wrestling, that, you know, just to get himself ready, I think he would fare well. I mean, he's not going to be as successful as a guy like Josh Barnett, who is tremendous. How How Josh Barnett is not on WWE's radar boggles the mind just because he's an incredible practitioner and catch wrestling he's good on the mic and he just has a commanding presence I think partially just because the UFC is very uh, protective of their fighters but Josh Barnett has his fair share of wrestling experience I mean we've seen him fight in Japan on numerous on numerous cards I've seen him fight on a couple of New Year's Eve shows I've seen him wrestle on a couple of New Year's Eve shows and I think that's a guy who would transition perfectly into the WWE but alas you know, he's a guy that also still has a couple of fights on his contract, so I don't think he's going anywhere for the foreseeable future. So the next bit of news is a little crazy just because it's not something you would expect, and it involves Rashad Evans. Rashad Evans, as many of you know, uh, won the Ultimate Fighter years ago, uh, came into the UFC as a heavyweight, dropped down to a light heavyweight to compete at 205, And in an interview with MMA Junkie recently, he said that he is considering dropping to middleweight. Uh, The reason being that his teammate, Anthony Rumble Johnson, of course, will be fighting John Jones for the light heavyweight title in May. And because of that relationship between Rashad and Anthony Johnson, he is possibly making the drop to 185 to not interfere with his teammate's success. A lot of people have been very vocal about the whole, I don't want to fight my teammate thing. And again, I'm not a fan of it. I personally think that, you know, when you go in that cage, it's you versus the other guy and that's it. MMA is not a team sport. It takes a team to get you there, but I don't think that it is a team sport. And with that, again, you know, I'm not one to, to push an agenda, but I think that Rashad still has something to offer at 205, it's a very, very different pool of talent at 185, and I think in that respect, Rashad will get lost in the shuffle. I mean, Rashad is still a dangerous, dangerous fighter, great wrestling pedigree, tremendous stand-up, but I think that he still has something to prove at 205, and just the fact that Anthony Johnson is his teammate shouldn't dissuade him from competing in that division. Um, again, I don't, I don't agree with his stance, but I respect it. I think He's going to be tested a lot at 185 because there's so many tremendous opponents there. Will Rashad Evans get gold at 185? 
that's a that's a tougher thing to assess. And the reason I say that is because, like I said, just a wealth of talent in that division. So many dangerous guys, and I think that the waters are going to be a lot deeper there for Rashad Evans. Lucha Lee says, I think Anthony Johnson is a legit threat to John Jones. He has grown so much. I agree 100%. I think Anthony Johnson has one of the best chances of really testing John Jones's chin. That's not to say that John Jones's chin is questionable, but I do feel that with the incredible knockout power that Anthony Johnson displays, it's going to make for a very, very interesting fight. In addition to that, um, I don't think Anthony Johnson is going to be thrown around or muscled around by John Jones as much just because Anthony Johnson is a big dude. And even even cutting to 205, I definitely think that he's not going to be manhandled as easily as some of John Jones' other opponents. Again, we're going to find out in May if that's the case. And the future for Rashad Evans right now looks like it's going to be 185. All right, the other card I wanted to talk about, and this is the card in Mexico City that the UFC is putting together, is really taking shape. Um, Cain Velasquez will be looking to unify the heavyweight title against Fabricio Verdum, and that card is going to be co-headlined by Eddie Alvarez and Gilbert Melendez. That's going to be an awesome fucking fight. Um, in addition to that, Tessia Torres will be taking on Angela Hill in a women's strawweight fight, and Cathal Pendred will be taking on Augusto Montano in a welterweight tilt. And, of course, we're going to have other fights as well on that card. And as they get announced, I will definitely share them with you guys. That card goes down June 13th in Mexico City. We're going to find out if Cain Velasquez is the top heavyweight in the world after, you know, his fight with Fabricio Verdum. Of course, Cain is currently on the shelf with an injury, and I think that's going to be a very interesting fight because I feel that once Cain beats Verdum, while the wealth of talent in the heavyweight division is pretty solid, I don't think it's deep enough where another challenger will present himself as easily. Not only that, but any guy that is with it within the realm of challenging all signs point to Kane having fought him before and defeating him. I mean, the, you could say that about JDS um, and any of these other guys. Kane pretty much has really obliterated them and solidified himself as the top tier heavyweight. Of course, there's always the possibility that he beats Verdum and we get a rematch out of the deal. But I'm curious to see what happens with Kane once he gets past Verdum. Who's gonna shape? Who's gonna take shape as a as a possible contender? I mean, you got a lot of decent guys in the heavyweight division, but I don't think they're guys right now that are in the same realm just from a from a technique and a and just a statistical standpoint. I I don't see it. I don't see any guy right now in the heavyweight division that could take that belt from Kane other than Verdum. I mean, JDS was in that, but we see what happened with JDS. Other than that, I don't really see anybody else. Of course, if you guys think that they're, that you know I'm wrong, feel free to share it in the chat or call in 347-324-3541. All right. We're going to talk a little Bellator because they got a card on deck this Friday. It is being called Bellator 134, the British Invasion and I have to admit that there's a lot of awesome fights on this card. Uh, the prelims start at 6.45. You can watch those on SpikeTV.com. The main card is at 9 o'clock. Um, again, a r- lot of good fights there. Linton Vassell will be taking on uh, Sokaju. Paul Daly is going to be taking on Andre Santos. Czech Congo and King Mo Lawal is going to be a crazy fight. King Mo making the jump to heavyweight to meet Czech Congo in the cage. 
definitely a fight that I that I'm pumped to see. I I really want to check out that fight. Number one because I want to see if King Mo making the the jump to heavyweight is going to maintain all that speed and power that he had at at light heavyweight. And the reason I say that is because even though King Mo is incredibly explosive, he's relied a lot on his stand up. And while I'm sure his power will go up, I'm curious to see where his wrestling game will go. Czech Congo, of course, with his strong kickboxing background, is going to make an interesting match for King Mo. The main event will be Emmanuel Newton defending the 205 title, the light heavyweight title against Liam McGeary. Um, Again, that's a main card at 9 o'clock on Spike TV. All right, the other bit of news I want to talk about, and this this has been making the rounds the last couple of days, involves Josh Neer. Uh, For those of you that know, the name Josh Neer fought originally in the UFC. He is called aptly the dentist. Um, he now fights for Bellator and a very interesting video made its way around the internet uh, reported first by TMZ. And it involved a guy who quote unquote was trolling and um, said that he wanted to fight Josh Neer. Josh Neer invited him to his gym at which point um, according to the edited video, uh, Josh Neer pretty much threw this guy a beating which is the video that's been circulating the internet. Other people have come to Nier's defense saying that the guy pretty much looked for that ass whooping. Uh, The guy himself says that it was a competitive fight and that the video that's floating around was edited and doesn't show the entire fight. He says Nier actually attacked him after their quote-unquote sparring session was over, and that's the video that has been floating around the internet. Now, I'm all for putting trolls in their place. I think sometimes you need to do that. I mean, for those of you that, that, you know, are active in the web in any communities, whether it's Reddit or forums or Reddit or whatever, you guys know that there's, there's a a healthy amount of trolls out there. Um, some worse than others. And either you brush it off and you ignore it or you interact with them and you feed the trolls, or sometimes you got to make an example now, my issue with him making an example of this guy is that the, the the blows that he was pretty much dropping on this guy were pretty damaging blows. I mean, you know, his uh, one of the trainers at his at his school said that it wasn't as bad as it looked. It's just that video made it look like it was worse than it was. I, I again, I'm all for putting a troll in their place, but you have to be careful in these situations because if something would have happened to that guy, that guy would have gotten injured. You would have been sued. Charges would have been filed. And for what? For a guy that's, you know, talking shit on the Internet. I mean, I applaud the guy for stepping up and going down there to to fight. But again, you know, is, is it really worth it? Is shit like that really worth it? Either, either you know, getting your lights put out, having your life shortened or worse for the sake of, of proving a point. I just I just feel it's bullshit. And again, I'm as irritable as the next guy. I hate trolling. I I try not to participate in that shit because I just know that it's stupid and it accomplishes nothing. And on the contrary, all it does is make people think that you're a fucking piece of shit and you just, you just don't want to deal with that. And again, I know my fair share of friends on air and off air. Well, let me rephrase that. I know my fair share of friends off air that are, are, you know, they have their, their little trolling moments and occasionally I got to I got to say it. I'm like, look, man, you know, like you, you could get punched in the face. It could happen. The world is a very, very, very small place. And that's how it goes. And a lot of times people, they hide behind their keyboards. They talk shit. 
and you never know. You bump into them at a live event. You bump into them in the street, and then you got to call them out on it, and either you got to throw hands with a motherfucker and possibly catch a charge, or you got to be the bigger man and walk away. But it's not easy, folks. It is not easy. Again, uh, not something that is surprising. I mean, the guy allegedly went in there. He was given the option of fighting a bigger guy or fighting Josh Near. He opted to fight the guy with a uh, UFC and professional MMA background. And I mean, even if the guy allegedly won the sparring match, the video floating around the internet is you getting your ass handed to you. So I don't know how I feel about that or how, how, you, how that guy must feel with that being the video that is floating around. All right. So with that said, that is actually going to wrap up the MMA news for this week. It was a pretty light week. Nothing too crazy. Of course, like I said, Ronda Rousey, Kat Zingano, and uh, Holly Holm making her UFC debut against Raquel Pennington is what is on deck this Saturday. Of course, you got Bellator on Friday, so definitely make sure to check out either one of those cards. Both cards look incredibly promising. I think the Ronda rousey Kazingano fight is going to be surprisingly good, and I'm very, very interested in seeing how Holly Holm, how her boxing transitions into the cage. So there you have it, guys. That's going to wrap up MMA for this week. Let's get into some wrestling. Booker T, you know what time it is, so take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! My Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by WWEShop.com. Get all your favorite WWE superstar merch at WWEShop.com. Use our promo code WWESAVE10 to save $10 on orders over $70 or more. Again, that promo code is WWESAVE10, and you will see that promo code in the show notes for this week's episode. All right, so let's get the ball rolling with WWE Fastlane which I essentially called the mayonnaise in the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania sandwich. And the reason I called it that was because we all know that this is essentially a placeholder pay-per-view. Not too, not too many crazy things were going to happen, and the few crazy things that did happen were just angle advancement for what really matters, and that is WrestleMania. Now, again, I'm not going to say that Fastlane was a terrible pay-per-view, but I'll be honest when I say that it felt more akin to an episode of Raw with no commercials than a full-fledged pay-per-view. And again, everyone's entitled to their opinion. And I can't, again, I can't complain too much because I watched it on the WWE Network, which is $10 a month anyway. So essentially, this was a $10 pay-per-view. Who really gives a shit at this point? But let's be realistic in the sense that the quality of the matches that were that were displayed were pretty much raw caliber matches and that's not necessarily a bad thing but it was not a good thing either so the opener for the card was the six-man tag match with Ziggler Rowan and Ryback taking on Seth Rollins Big Show and Kane with J&J security overall not a terrible match on the contrary it was a good match a great performance by all parties involved Seth Rollins looked like a million dollars in there and of course the, the big setup for this match was the return of Randall Orton. <laughs> Good old Randall came back with a very, very so, uh, a strong pop from the crowd. 
And, um, you know, it, it was it was good to see him back. I mean, like I said, I'm not a fan of his uh, his lack of presence most times. But again, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And considering that we've seen the same six matches on television with Kane and the big show, seeing Orton back in the mix kind of breaks up the monotony a bit. That's not saying that it's great. But at least it's another face that you could throw in there against guys like Kane and the Big Show. And of course, the big payoff is going to be Seth Rollins and Randy Orton at WrestleMania. We all know that that's what it's going to be. And the setup got started with WWE Fastlane. The singles match between Goldust and Stardust was next. And I really felt that the match, there was a lot of hype going in. You know, the inevitable turn from one of these guys on the other was something that we talked about for months and months and months. And for as much as I really looked forward to the match, I did not feel that the match was as good as it was. I kind of felt that it was, you know, it, it was it was a little disjointed. I think that the uh, the bigger the bigger plus for the match was just Cody's continued improvement in the Stardust persona. He looked really good out there. It just felt the match itself just felt incredibly disjointed. And that's not the fault of either guy. They just for their first outing didn't get, didn't deliver the match that many of us were expecting. I mean, there are other people that said that the match was passable. I like I said, I fall into that same camp, but I think that this was a trial run and we're going to get something a lot bigger at WrestleMania. On the tag team title side of things, the Usos took on Cesaro and Kidd in a very, very good match. I think that these guys work incredibly well together. The tag team of Cesaro and Kidd definitely continue to impress every week. They go out there and they deliver great matches. They tell great stories. Um, Cesaro playing the uh, the bigger half a la Power and Glory um, definitely had a lot of great signature moves in that, in that match. Um, Tyson Kidd leaps and bounds ahead of most guys on the roster, incredibly underrated, but looked very good out there with the Usos. Um, the pinfall came due to, of course, uh, a little bit of shenanigans, which led to Tyson Kidd defeating Jimmy Uso with the Fisherman Neckbreaker. Um, again, a very solid match, and I think a match that you can utilize to b- rebuild the tag team division, which at this point is sorely lacking. I mean, outside of the Ascension uh, the Usos, Kid and Cesaro, and the newly reunited primetime players, they're not really doing too much right now, which is a shame because the tag team division in the WWE at varying points over the last couple of years has been incredibly entertaining. We get our Triple H and Sting confrontation, which was a- a- about as solid as you would expect. Uh, Triple H came out channeling his uh, 2000 look, minus the long hair with the uh, leather jacket and the snug pants and the brand new t-shirt available on wweshop.com of course to confront the vigilante the, the man called Sting. And while the exchange was about as good and as decent as you would expect, I found it incredibly comedic when Sting held the bat to Triple H's throat like a gun while Triple H held a sledgehammer. Now, logistically you would think bat versus sledgehammer i really think the sledgehammer would win in this instance it was just incredibly amusing the way that went down i'm watching it and i'm like all right you're pointing a ga- a bat at a at triple h like a gun and uh triple h has his hands up like please don't shoot me and he drops the bat i mean excuse me he drops the sledgehammer 
And of course, Sting turns around. Triple H tries to go in for the kill and gets a bat shot for his troubles. Everybody goes home happy with the segment. Obviously, the build for this will be Sting and Triple H at WrestleMania. Not a big shock. I just expected... I expected it to not be as comedic as it appeared to be, and I think that's just a nod to what wrestling was during the Attitude Era, during the Monday Night Wars. Just a little bit of, of you know, over-the-top uh, comedy there from, from Triple H. But overall, a, a decent segment. Obviously, the build for this match is what's going to have... It's what's going to require the most work. Like I've said before, I think Sting's ring work over the years has suffered, but I think an opponent like Triple H will definitely hide a lot of those um those you know those lack of th- that lack of technique in some instances again who knows maybe sting will surprise us and deliver a five-star classic with triple h the verdict is out on that one but again we'll see what happens wrestlemania is closer than we think that's for damn sure the divas title match was essentially a five-minute affair that saw nikki bella retain in a match against page that was rather it was not sloppy, not terrible, and I actually want to reference this match a little deeper when I talk about the the controversy surrounding the Divas currently, but I just felt that the match, um, you know, Nikki Bella can't carry someone to a match, and while Paige has very, very good uh, ring technique, I don't think Paige is in the situation to carry matches either. Um, I think they're both, both Divas are going to benefit from working with more veteran hands, and when I say that, I say that with divas like AJ, Natalia, you know, women that have that have been in there that have a little bit more of a technical background that that just makes them look better and can carry them in matches. Again, not to say that the match was a complete shit show, but I did feel that the the participants weren't they didn't mesh well and you know the outcome was pretty much seen from a mile away. On the flip side, Bad News Barrett and Dean Ambrose was a surprisingly good match. I did like it. Um, The ending was, I mean, for a pay-per-view, again, the ending was not what I expected. I felt that it was kind of stupid. But, of course, Ambrose stealing the belt is what everybody expected just because, you know, he's crazy. So, um, you know, they got to put, they got to pimp that out a bit. I do feel that Bad News Barrett, with his brawling style, can have better matches with Dean Ambrose again. Like I've said before, I do feel that Fastlane was a, you know, a trial run for for their inevitable match at WrestleMania. Plus, a couple of other guys have have uh, presented themselves in the IC title picture, which I'm going to get into during our Raw discussion, because I think that's what's going to lead to the inevitable uh, brand new crown, a new crown. Wow, what a botch and a half. Uh, a, A crowning of a brand new intercontinental champion. Now, uh, I will say this, I think Bad News Barrett is a guy that's that's probably more suited for the main event at this point. I think he's got a uh, really good connection with the crowd, and I also feel that he's the kind of guy that would be, um, you know, not not out of place with a group like The Authority. I think, you know, replacing Kane in the big show with a guy like Bad News Barrett and, um, I don't know, Bad News Barrett, maybe Rusev. Or, or even a, a heel-turned Sheamus would be better because at least you have some wrestlers that can can deliver some decent matches in the ring. I do feel that Kane and the Big Show take away from it just because, you know, it's, it's like they're fodder for everybody else, much like J&J Security. 
Um, but I would I would like to see a guy like Wade Barrett aligned with the authority. It just adds a little bit more, um, just adds a better match quality to the faction as a whole. Again, I I don't think it's something we're going to see in the near future, but I think it's something that with with really good writing would definitely pay off on television. The crowd marked out incredibly hard for the Undertaker segment with the Druids and the casket. We all knew it was going to be Bray Wyatt. If you didn't know that, you haven't watched wrestling for as long as you think. Um, Of course, Bray Wyatt formally made his intentions known that he would like a match with The Undertaker. Uh, Rumors are running rampant that The Undertaker is in the gym getting ready for that match and that we will be seeing them square off at WrestleMania. Now, the real question is, is Bray Wyatt going to be put over by The Undertaker as the new phenom of the WWE, or is The Undertaker going to get a little bit of redemption courtesy of the rookie upstart, so to speak? And in my opinion, I do feel that in this instance, The Undertaker would be better served putting over a guy like Bray Wyatt who has the look, the enigma, and just the, the, the... the attention of the fans to become this new phenom, this new, this new monster that the WWE is seeking. Like I've said before, the undertaker has maybe one or two more matches in him. And as much as we wanted to see him and sting square off, I do think him and Bray Wyatt is a better match. I think that you can tell a really good story with, uh, vignettes and, you know, just solid promo work from Bray Wyatt. You don't need the undertaker there every week to bring the story to, to fruition. And not only that, but I do feel that that WrestleMania is going to be the real the real unfolding of that story because, of course, we're going to get a really, really cool Undertaker entrance, and I'm sure we're going to get an equally impressive entrance from Bray Wyatt. And again, I see this more so as a passing of the torch, and I really hope that that's how it pans out just because the Undertaker, he, it, it, he takes an entire year to get ready for one match, and it's just not fair to him physically. But I'm sure Vince isn't exactly holding a gun to his head, telling him to hang it up either. On the flip side, the United States Championship match with John Cena was incredibly better than I thought it was going to be. I think it really, they did a really good job of putting Rusev over. Um, Cena did a tremendous job, not only as an opponent, but just as a guy that didn't have to carry Rusev too much. I think Rusev is establishing himself as a very, very good hand in the ring, uh, very agile, very strong, uh, capable of telling a good story. And working with Cena definitely made him um, look like he belongs in the upper, you know, in the upper card. And that's a good thing. John Cena not tapping out, just passing out is something that I expected to happen. I really, you know, I've I've said before that I, I you know, Rusev needed to lose to kind of break that entire, that stigma of being undefeated. I kind of feel that that shackles him a bit. Obviously, Creative had other ideas, but Cena not tapping out or submitting, of course, is a testament to his hustle, loyalty, and respect, his never-give-up attitude, and of course, this tells a better story. How this, this pans out with WrestleMania remains to be seen when we discuss Raw. Now... Let's talk about the number one contenders match, Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan. You know, the big joke, and we've talked about this at length, is, you know, Roman Reigns needs to look strong. Roman Reigns needs to look strong going into WrestleMania. He needs to look strong to face Brock Lesnar. 
that's the the underlying fact that Roman Reigns needs to look strong. And there's no better opponent to put him over than Daniel Bryan. This is a guy who is incredibly, incredibly savvy in the ring, whether telling a story with high-flying offense, technical offense, or even brawling. Uh, Daniel Bryan definitely can hold his own with the best of them. And I think that he forced Roman Reigns to dig deep and really tell a better story. I've said before that Roman Reigns is a good wrestler when the matches are three minutes. These guys went went more than 20 minutes to close out the show, and the match told an incredible story. I think each guy had a a lot on the line, and they really, really drove that point home. Not only that, but it also served to kind of turn the crowd in Roman's favor. I mean, when the match started, there were there, you know, there were their fair share of boos. But as the match progressed and you saw that these guys were telling an incredible story, you got to see um just everything come together, just the right presence, the right moment, and the crowd actually started to show signs of life, which I'll be honest, the crowd for that pay-per-view was fucking terrible. It was a terrible crowd. And um the thing that got me was the fact that they they told their story without any sort of a, of a shady ending or interference or, or any of that shit. It was clean, it was by the book, and it was necessary to get Roman Reigns ready for WrestleMania. I mean, let's not kid ourselves, Roman Reigns is the future of this company, and it's, it's, it's looking more and more likely that Brock Lesnar will be dropping the title to Roman Reigns, but I will say this, Daniel Bryan did a tremendous job in helping Roman Reigns come out a better wrestler from this encounter. While WWE Fastlane as a whole was a rather by-the-numbers average pay-per-view, the main event definitely lived up to expectations, and Daniel Bryan once again did a tremendous job making Roman Reigns look like he belongs in the main event. Which leads us to Monday night. Monday night was... um interesting and the reasoning was of course first and foremost they were was the acknowledgement of randy orton's return and the authority going out of their way to bring randy orton back into the fold we all know that this isn't going to lead to the inevitable randy orton delivering rkos to everybody um the whole meeting that stephanie mcmahon kind of kind of used to get everybody on the same page was kind of kind of phony sounding i mean these guys they're all grown-ups, and it just looked really, really forced. But I will say that Randy Orton showed some glimpses of personality in that exchange. I think Stephanie McMahon really has good chemistry with Randy Orton. It's definitely a shame that she can't eat an RKO in the PG era of the WWE because that's that's really what's best for business, just Randy Orton being the anti-hero, being a lunatic. And um, I guess they want to reserve the bulk of the lunacy for a guy like Dean Ambrose, but Randy Orton making him this enigma, this guy with no friends out for himself just works better than making him either full on baby face or a full on heel. I think the Randy Orton that's out for himself that can RKO anybody at a moment's notice is more intriguing than, like I said, a full on heel or a full on face Randy Orton. So We'll see how it pans out. We know that it's going to lead to the inevitable collision course with Seth Rollins, but it was a step in the right direction. Our first match of the night was Dolph Ziggler taking on Bad News Barrett, which, of course, led to an appearance by Dean Ambrose 
and an appearance by R-Truth all making claims for the IC title. Uh, the match ended with Dolph Ziggler securing the victory via the zigzag on Wade Barrett and, of course, the shoulder check from Dean Ambrose, which pretty much foreshadowed that one or all three of these guys are going to be con- are going to be contending for the IC title in some sort of a, of a gimmick match, whether it's a fatal four way, uh, whether it's an elimination match, whatever the case may be, all eyes are pointing to these guys being in the picture for the IC title. Um, I'll be honest. I don't think Dolph Ziggler needs the IC title at this point. Dolph Ziggler really should be um, considered a main eventer at this point, but you know, you want to, you want to strengthen the mid card and, you know, you're going to have to do it on the back of Dolph Ziggler at this point. But I think him and Wade Barrett are ready for that transition. I feel Ambrose definitely could carry the mid card. And even our truth, if you kind of take him away from his stupid ass gimmicks and you just let him be a badass dude, I think there's tremendous potential there. And there's also a wealth of challengers on the mid card that could really lead to some great matches. Um, aside from the New Day, of course, you got Cesaro, you got Tyson Kidd. Uh, guys that can still challenge for for a singles title if they wanted uh, the returning Sheamus, but odds are that Sheamus is going to be in the world title picture upon his return. But again, you know the the IC title picture is taking shape, and I have a feeling we're going to see some sort of a gimmick match at WrestleMania. Now the other the other thing that got me was, and this was um you know it was crazy because the Ascension came out and squared off against the primetime players, which they pretty much were reunited after Titus O'Neil saved Darren Young from the Ascension. The match itself was, um, it was good. I think that obviously this is leading to to some sort of a of a program between both teams. I do feel that the primetime players they didn't they didn't do enough, and, and the crowd again just wasn't into it with them to really get them over. When the primetime players were at the top of their game, everybody was doing the dance, chanting millions of dollars. They decided to do the full 180 and turn Titus O'Neil heel, which I felt was just a poorly, poorly executed turn because these guys definitely were an asset to your tag team division. And then you just turn them and you did nothing with either guy. Of course, Darren Young being out with the injury didn't help either for their program, but neither did Slater Gator. Now, a program with the Ascension works because you got an upstart team that's trying to solidify themselves and two guys that really do have great chemistry together. Titus O'Neil's singles run is definitely forgettable, and I think that if you are going to break them up at some point, while Titus O'Neil definitely is the standout, you definitely want them to get some sort of a tag team run under their belt at this point. It would it, It's just unfair that you don't let these guys gain any traction before breaking them up. All right, so... I, I kind of wanted to talk about this Roman Reigns promo with Daniel Bryan. And the reason I said this is be, I want to get into it is for two reasons. Number one, Daniel Bryan once again coming out, putting over Roman Reigns, really giving an, uh, a passionate promo that started off with him kind of shitting on Roman Reigns and then explaining how he came to respect him. I thought it was uh, really, really great um, in terms of just creative, actually doing something right for a change. Not only that, but I felt that we got to see a little bit more uh, of just a natural, uh, you know, just a bit more natural delivery from Roman Reigns. Of course, uh, Daniel Bryan's departure after the promo led to the arrival of one Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman, of course, can be in the ring with a pile of shit, a, a dirty shoe, 
and can get an amazing promo out of any of those inanimate objects. As for Roman Reigns, who we have uh, aptly called the the Kristen Stewart of professional wrestling because the guy has uh, one expression. He doesn't. It's like angry Roman Reigns and pensive Roman Reigns and you know aggressive Roman Reigns all look like the same guy. But I will say that Paul Heyman succeeded in in bringing out a little bit a little bit more of the real Roman Reigns, and and that's the problem. I think that the the biggest flaw in the Roman Reigns machine is the fact that this guy's having his promos written for him and they just come out sounding comedic and stupid instead of allowing him to be more natural. You know, it's like it's like we know that the guy talks a little hood and he's got a little bit of a, a, a of a delivery issue with his promos, but you have to let these guys be a little bit more natural out there. I think that Part of Roman Reigns' problem is that they're writing these promos for him, and he's probably looking at them, and he's like, really, I got to say that? And there's no belief in that delivery. I mean, you know, he's telling you to believe that, but he's not believing that the promo is any good. So, and the crowd can sense that. They can sense that the guy doesn't believe in his in his promo skills. He doesn't believe that he can he can go out there and deliver the the promo that makes him a main eventer. And I think that part of the reason why that happens is because you're writing promos for a guy who's not that good at it. And when you do that, you have three options. Either A, he becomes, you know, the silent, the silent, the enigma that speaks with actions and not words. That's number one. Number two, you let him be more natural, which allows him to speak better because he feels comfortable in his own skin. Number three, you give him a manager. That's it. A, B, or C, one, two, or three, any way you slice it, those are the only ways that Roman Reigns as a character will grow. Going out there and believe that and all this shit, it's just, it's just, it just doesn't sound natural. When he was speaking to, to Brock Lesnar, when he was conducting the interview during the, uh, the snowstorm edition of Raw, we saw natural charisma, natural persona. When you see him just, Talking to when you see him talking to Paul Heyman in the exchange that they had, you saw that there was an energy there. You saw that there was just natural delivery. And I think part of the reason why is because I'm sure that Paul Heyman doesn't have anybody writing his promos for him. And because of that, I'm sure, you know, you know, Paul Heyman was like, all right, we're going to go out there and we're going to kind of do it like this. And and it worked out better. And I think that's going to be a big catalyst in Roman Reigns getting over. People can tell. And, and part of it is because a lot of fans are seasoned and they know the product, and that's partially because of the internet. They understand that the guy is weak. His promos are weak. And that's a big, big problem. And the problem with that is that every main eventer that has come through the, the WWE roster has either delivered in the ring, delivered on the mic, or done or, or did both. You know, Stone Cold Steve Austin was a complete package. So was The Rock. So was Triple H. So were so were a lot of other uh, main eventers on that roster. Shawn Michaels, Kevin Nash. Um, you know, the list goes on. And then you had guys who were not that good on the mic and delivered, you know, just from wrestling alone. And, and the greatest example of that is Chris Benoit, who didn't speak a lot and delivered amazing stellar matches. And that was it. And that made him a guy that that people viewed as a main eventer strictly on ability alone. 
Kurt Angle started off the same way, but then Kurt Angle grew into his character and and became one of the best performers that has graced the WWE ring in quite some time. And that's what happens. You, you got to let these guys branch out and grow into themselves. I mean, The Rock, when he came out, he was blue chipper, Rocky Maivia. Everybody hated his guts. But when you, you know, you turned him and you put him with the nation, you allowed him to grow into his persona. You allowed him to grow into his character. And that really was a major turning point for The Rock. And the same thing can be said for Roman Reigns. You need to find that one moment where Roman Reigns grows into himself, where he feels more natural on the microphone. Now, Val says Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose stole the wind out of his sails. This is true. And part of the reason that was is because initially everybody thought that Dean Ambrose was the breakout guy because Dean Ambrose is a fucking psycho. But as the weeks and months went by, you started seeing Seth Rollins kind of cement himself as the guy that did all the talking. And Roman Reigns kind of faded in the background, and I think part of the reason why they did that was because they wanted to create this mysterious, silent juggernaut who would go out there at a moment's notice and spear you out of your boots. And now that you're creating this guy who's supposed to be the, the, the next face of your company, you're, you're realizing that you should have let him speak more. Val says they should, that should be how Roman does it, not like Brock with the screaming and shit. It's true. If you're going to do anything with Roman Reigns, it should be let this guy speak in the ring, you know, a la Bill Goldberg. Bill Goldberg didn't say a lot, but when it was time to go out there and do a match, he went out there and delivered. Don't get me wrong. Goldberg is another guy that grew into his character and became a guy that, you know, during the Attitude Era was synonymous with just intensity and going out there and, and delivering just an intense match, an intense delivery. And Roman Reigns is similar. He's just not where he needs to be at this time. Val says he should just try to go out there and try to destroy his opponents. He also adds that Seth Rollins is the new showstopper. Jay says we need to realize that WWE has a plan and will have us root for the guy without even knowing we are. You know, to to add to what Jay says, WWE does have a plan and the way that they're going to have they're going to have that plan come to fruition is by doing things that are going to make people feel more more motivated to cheer Roman Reigns. And what I when I say that, I'll say Daniel Bryan's promo with Roman Reigns on Monday was done partially to get us to root for him. Because when Daniel Bryan said, yo, go to go to WrestleMania and kick Brock Lesnar's ass, you can't boo the guy because you know that Brock Lesnar's a part-timer, he's not there, and you'd rather have the title on a guy who you're going to see every week. So yeah, I agree with that. But I also have to say that WWE's plans, while they are good 90% of the time, I have to say that putting Roman Reigns in this spotlight without allowing him to grow as a, as a, as a talker is a big step backwards. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Roman Reigns is, he has the complete package. You know, he's a good looking dude. He's jacked. And you know, the, the crowd was into his, his, into his character. But when, when the company kind of turned the corner and said, yo, this is the guy and people started getting hip to the game it became cool to hate Roman Reigns the same way it's cool to hate John Cena. John Cena, for as much as we don't like his cookie-cutter gimmick, is a great worker, has carried the company on his back, and sells the most fucking merchandise. For a guy that sucks, he's doing pretty fucking well. The same can be said for Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns 
is only a victim of creative making people hate him. You know, creative makes people hate him because, like I said, they're writing his promos, which are shit. And they they're they're not doing the right things to make him every, you know, to make him that guy. Now, Val says John Cena can't put on a good match half the time. Everyone's carried John Val. I got to disagree. And the reason I say that is because when you look at John Cena and Eddie Guerrero and that match, when John Cena kind of came on the map. That was that was all John Cena. When John Cena squared off against Brock Lesnar the first time years ago, when he created the FU to counter the F5, John Cena held his own in that match. When John Cena was feuding with, you know, with guys like Chris Jericho, um, you know, with, with a lot of these guys, with a lot of these blue chipper guys, you saw that John Cena can hold his own. The problem with John Cena is that he's become so limited due to his character, that we automatically assume that he can't work. John Cena can work, but it's also dependent on who he's in the ring with. John Cena is not going to have a five-star technical classic with a guy like Ryback. It's not going to happen. But you put John Cena in there with Daniel Bryan, and you know you're going to get a tremendous match, which, again, that's a great example. John Cena and Daniel Bryan was an amazing match. Great storytelling and just the right outcome at the right time. And part of that, you know, was was John Cena. Same thing with Cena and Seth Rollins. That's a great, I'm glad you brought that up. John Cena and Seth Rollins, all those matches they had were good matches. And that's not to say that Seth Rollins wasn't partly responsible for that, but that's also because John Cena, when he needs to, can give us the best matches possible. Even with Rusev, I was incredibly surprised that his match with Rusev was as good as it was, and it showed that Rusev definitely belongs. Now, now, does that mean that John Cena is going to go out there and deliver, you know, amazing catch wrestling classics? Absolutely not. But if need be, and if, the, and if it's called upon, he can go out there and do his thing. He definitely can. And Val, Val adds, I feel bad for John because half the time it seems like he's told, do what you normally do. I'm sure that that's exactly what it is. You know, there's very few guys on that roster. And I mean, I think John Cena is one of them that goes out there and does what he does. And you know what the thing is? Uh, you you got you to gotta respect John Cena because this is a guy that during his feud with CM Punk ate a fucking pile driver. Remember that? him and him and He trusted CM Punk enough to deliver a pile driver. And and think about it. This that's an incredible amount of trust given what happened with Stone Cold Steve Austin and countless other guys, you know? CM Punk showed that he belonged and John Cena showed that he trusted CM Punk by letting him do that. When he took the pile driver from CM Punk on Raw, everybody jumped out of their seat. Everybody went crazy. And that's what I'm saying. You have to John Cena is not a terrible wrestler. He's just he's just a slave to his character, a slave to his gimmick. And he tries. He tries to do other stuff. He tries to do some top rope stuff. You see his terrible drop kick. But again, he he's trying to go out there and, and sprinkle little things here and there. But I'm sure that he'll go out there and he'll do a move. And when he goes backstage, they're like, yo, don't do that again. You know, just because they, they got to protect their investment. They don't need this guy trying some extra shit and fucking himself up. The same could be said when Brock Lesnar did the shooting star press. When Brock Lesnar did the shooting star press in OVW, 
he he did an amazing job. Everybody was blown away that you had this guy that was nearly 300 pounds do a picture perfect shooting star press. Of course, when he broke it out against Kurt Angle, it didn't go according to plan and it nearly killed him. But again, it's instances like that that people kind of have to reconsider some of those some of those options. You know? Oh yeah, Val brought up the awful Hurricane Rana on the on the Miz. Yep, that that's another situation, but you can't blame the guy for trying. And I think that and I talked about this with Josh um off air today and I said I'm like Roman Reigns is a slave to creative. Creative goes, here's what you're going to say when you go out there. And he goes out there and either either he delivers a promo that makes sense or he delivers a promo where it's pretty much, you know, believe that and then, you know, just him trying to hit on Renee Young. I mean, you know, he's trying, but he doesn't have a lot to work with. And creative isn't giving him a lot to work with either. It's like what Paul Heyman used to say with ECW. Emphasize the strengths, hide the weaknesses. And if you want to emphasize the strengths, you make Roman Reigns just a badass dude, a badass Samoan dude that goes out there to fuck people up. And whenever they want to have promos with him, he just doesn't say anything. Slick says, can we blame Sin Cara for trying? You know what the thing is? Sin Cara depends on what, well, Hunico, who is currently Sin Cara, he's definitely trying to go out there and do what he's got to do. But again, you're working with a mask that you can barely see through and you're trying to keep a gimmick alive that was essentially damaged by the guy who was supposed to be, you know, the, this amazing Mexican luchador. I don't, I don't really, I don't really shit on Sin Cara's character too much because I think if you, the character can be saved, and I think that the character can be, you know, a focal point for the company. It can be a character that sells merchandise, but again, you need the right opponents, the right storyline, and just the right approach to make that character take off. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, let me go through the rest of Raw. Uh, the Usos took on Cesaro and Kid again. Of course, there was involvement from the wives, which led to the DQ, which we all knew was coming a mile away. I did think that, um, and I was concerned, I did think that Natalia injured herself in that match. And if she didn't, she really did a hell of a job at selling it. But um, we'll see what happens. I haven't heard too much, but I'm curious if she really did get injured in that spot because her boot was off and she was limping. So we'll see. I'm hoping that it's nothing too serious, but... um. It definitely looked pretty legit in my book. Of course, we got some more Bray Wyatt calling out The Undertaker. I'm sure we're going to start seeing responses from the dead man in the coming weeks. Uh, maybe as, as soon as next Monday, but I'm probably going to figure we're going to see that a little bit more. Jay says that rivalry should build up the tag division. I agree 100%. The only problem is that for you know instead of making the rivalry between the tag teams the, the issue... It's it's the you know the total the total diva subplot that's the that's the underlying situation. I do feel that those teams can definitely rebuild the tag team division as well, but it's going to be the matter of of seeing how far they take it. You know how far they take Cesaro and Kid because again you put Cesaro and Kid together and inevitably if you feel like doing it next week you're going to have one of them turn on the other because that's just how creative works. I'd love to see Cesaro and Kid long-term tag team champions and, and come up with a team name. I mean, they have incredible tag team offense already, but alas, you know, we are at the mercy of creative when it comes to that, so we shall see how that pans out. 
Stardust took on Jack Swagger, which of course took on Jack Swagger, which of course led to the inevitable ankle lock loss for Stardust and people chanting Cody. Um, Goldust, of course, made an appearance, and either we're going to see the return of Cody Rhodes or we're going to see some sort of a stipulation match with Goldust at WrestleMania. Jay says, Undertaker will respond a week or two before WrestleMania, slow burn before the big event. You're probably right, Jay, unless, of course, you know, they want to kind of get the ball rolling early. I don't think we're going to see The Undertaker until um until WrestleMania. That remains to be seen. Jay also says that the uh, the team of Uso and Cesaro, I mean, Uso's and Cesaro, uh, Kid and Cesaro, are supposed to be the brass ring club. I did hear that. But I heard that the um, that creative did not want to use that name for whatever reason. Obviously, it's kind of a dig at what Vince McMahon said. I think that the Brass Ring Club would be pretty fucking cool on air. But, you know, creative creative isn't going to let that slide and neither is Vince. But um, I like that name, the Brass Ring Club. I didn't acknowledge it just because, like I said, creative allegedly doesn't want to acknowledge that name on air. But I agree that that's an awesome name for the team. And I'm hoping that they go with it, but who knows? Maybe a little, uh, a little, a little nudge over the over time will lead to that name being used. Um, Jay says that it could be a stable. I agree. The Brass Ring Club could be a stable, and it would work. Uh, you put them, maybe Zack Ryder in there, and um, you know, have a good time with that. But we'll see how it how it pans out in the coming weeks. We, you know, of course, we got Rusev. And uh, John Cena exchanging uh, verbal jabs at one another with Cena demanding a rematch at WrestleMania and Rusev saying no. I will say that um, obviously this is going to lead to Cena pushing the issue to try and get Rusev to give him a match at Mania. That's probably going to be a build that's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. And Cena will continue to get under the skin of the big Russian until he gets his match at WrestleMania. Paige and Emma took on the Bella Twins, and that match was pretty much the the length of me getting up, walking to my fridge, and walking back in the room. It was a, a piss-poor match because we didn't even get to see what the hell, you know, we didn't even get to see the match really take shape because it ended so, so quickly. The Bushwhackers were announced as your newest entrance, your newest entrance into the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, not a nomination that I'm happy with considering all the great tag teams that have come before the Bushwhackers that were infinitely better. But, you know, we got to throw, we got to throw some D-listers in there too to round out things because we can't have all A-list guys all the time. I understand that, but I do think that the Bushwhackers would not have been my first choice as a tag team to put in the Hall of Fame. I would have reserved that right for Demolition, uh, Power and Glory, uh, the Head Shrinkers, um, the Wild Samoans, no, uh, the Head Shrinkers, and um, definitely Demolition, Power and Glory, like I said, Warlord and the Barbarian. There were there were so many other teams I I, I would have put in there before I put the Bushwhackers in. It's insane that they got in there, but you know this is what happens once in a while. You got to get a couple of duds in there, and I think that the Bushwhackers definitely are those duds. Jay says that what that what happened with the Divas was wrong. Val adds that the Bushwhackers were trash. <laughs> Jay says that the Bushwhackers were inducted because of their wrestling accomplishments through the years. The bulk of their accomplishments were the uh 
the uh, were were done when they were the sheep herders before they came into the WWE. When they came into the WWF at the time, they were basically a comedy duo. And like I said, while they do have their place in wrestling history, I don't think it's a it's a it's a place that warrants them an entry into the Hall of Fame before a tag team like Demolition. Hell, I would have rather the Nasty Boys be in there that Val just mentioned. The Nasty Boys were. You know, they definitely were a staple in the tag team division, and I'm shocked that Hogan didn't push for that since he's friends with those guys. I am so I am super shocked that the nasty boys aren't in there. Jay adds that they have won championships across different promotions in the wrestling business. There you go. We got Ryback and Curtis Axel, and pretty much that ended as exactly as you would expect. Um, the bigger the bigger announcement from this match is the fact that both guys have announced their their participation in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, which of course was the bigger purpose of the match. Our main event of the evening was Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan taking on Seth Rollins and Randy Orton in a very very solid match, which of course was was did a a great job of teasing Randy Orton turning on the Authority, but. Alas, we are going to get a slow burn for this, and it's probably going to take a couple of weeks before Randy Orton pulls the trigger. But overall, the match itself was surprisingly good. I really liked a lot of the chemistry between all these guys. I did like the the subtleties and the respect between Brian and Roman Reigns um, during the match. It was good, and it really helped contrast uh, the power. You know, it really helped reinforce the parallels between Seth Rollins and Randy Orton in that match as well. Um, a pretty solid main event for a pretty decent post-pay-per-view Raw. Wasn't terrible, but definitely was not great either. All right, let's talk the remaining wrestling news for the week, of which there were quite a few. Uh, the first um, is the big news story involving Dr. Chris Aman, who has filed a lawsuit against CM Punk and Colt Cabana, claiming defamation and invasion of privacy due to Punk's statements on Colt Cabana's podcast, and of course, uh, CM Punk stating that Chris Amon misdiagnosed a serious MRSA infection, and um, WWE actually addressed the lawsuit, and they said the following, in light of CM Punk's allegation regarding WWE's medical staff and the subsequent defamation lawsuit filed by Dr. Chris Amon against CM Punk, WWE continues to have the utmost confidence in the ability and expertise of our world-class team of physicians, including Dr. Aman. CM Punk claimed this past November that during the Royal Rumble pay-per-view on January 26, 2014, he performed with a baseball-sized purple lump on his back located near the waistband of his tights. WWE's investigation has shown the following. CM Punk did not discuss his alleged condition with WWE's team of physicians and trainers, nor did he discuss it with anyone in our talent relations department. Subsequently, WWE has no medical records documenting this alleged condition. The first time WWE was made aware of this alleged condition was when we received a letter from CM Punk's attorney on August 22nd after WWE terminated his contract. There is a clear video evidence from the 2014 Royal Rumble which allows all to decide whether there is any appearance of a baseball-sized growth on CM Punk's back. I am I am not surprised that this is panning out the way it did because it's a very, 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 very huge blockbuster allegation on CM Punk's part stating that WWE's medical professionals did not have his his care and his health as as the number one priority. I'm sure that whether it's true or not true, 
it's going to be something that will be heavily debated as this lawsuit progresses. Again, it's a very, very big, big, big accusation to levy against the company who has so many athletes on their roster and their care and just their overall physical well-being is overseen by this medical team, which thus far, um, aside from CM Punk, has been pretty spot on with 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 injury prevention and and care of their athletes when they're on the shelf. Now, again, I'm not siding with CM Punk. I'm not siding with the WWE, but I'm looking at it from both sides. Um, Punk has his fair share of valid gripes, but I also feel that the WWE has their fair share of gripes as well. Again, it's, you know, his side, their side, and the truth. And at the end of the day, either CM Punk and Cole Cabana are going to have to issue a retraction or an apology, or some serious money is going to change hands. Obviously, we're going to be watching this develop with much interest over the coming weeks. Um, Like I said, it could go one of two ways, but... I think WWE is definitely going full steam ahead and they are going to try to stick it to CM Punk. Obviously, his departure and the the interview on Cole Cabana's podcast did a lot more damage than they would have liked. And I'm sure that they really are going to go out of their way to make an example of the straight edge superstar. Again, we'll see how it pans out. And once the case starts to take shape and if it's going to go to trial, we will definitely keep you guys abreast of the situation. If you have a WWE Network subscription and you tried to share that subscription with a friend or loved one that did not live with you and they could not access WWE Fastlane or any of the other programming, that was intentional. WWE has updated the terms and conditions of the WWE Network, noting that although your WWE Network subscription is accessible on a number of devices, your use is limited to one WWE Network stream on one device at any given time. Due to this, of course, many people have noted on social media that their shared accounts are not allowing them to stream WWE Fastlane on multiple devices, getting a message that they're trying to use multiple streams at once. So, please keep in mind, my fellow listeners, if you share your WWE subscription with other loved ones or other family members or even friends, please note that if both of you try to watch a stream at the same time, you will essentially not be allowed to do so. Of course, many of us have done this with other services, including Netflix, Hulu, and various others. Hey, lend me your password for X, Y, and Z. And of course, usually it works, but WWE wants to ensure that everybody that is using the network is a genuine subscriber. So this course of action is definitely not a surprise to me in the least. After Raw went off the air Monday, WrestleMania started to take shape. Of course, our main event, Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns, Sting and Triple H, and the Andre the the Giant Battle Royal are guaranteed matches for the event. For the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, thus far, The Miz, Curtis Axel, and Ryback are all named as participants thus far. I'm sure over the next couple of weeks, more matches will take shape as WrestleMania will get here before you know it. Going a little local, I want to talk about a wrestling event that's actually going down at City Field, which is looking like a like an awesome event worth checking out. I'm sure our very own Jay Santi will be interested in this, as there will be a Legends of Wrestling event on June 7th at City Field, with matches taking place in a ring that's going to be set up by second base. 
Uh, the event will be at 3 p.m. on June 7th and is going to feature wrestlers such as Ric Flair, Bill Goldberg, Bret Hart, and many more. The legends will be on hand doing autographs, Q&As, and they will also be six matches at, you know, in the ring setup at City Field. Once we get more details, we will definitely share it with you guys, but the Re- Legends of Wrestling event will be going down June 7th at City Field if you're a local New York resident and want to meet some of the legends, you may want to check that out. All right, so I want to talk about the um, the scenario, not the scenario, but the controversy surrounding the WWE, the WWE Divas division and, of course, AJ Lee. Now, AJ Lee called out Stephanie McMahon over a disparity in pay and television time for the WWE Divas on Twitter. Um, Stephanie McMahon posted a tweet congratulating Patricia Arquette and, you know, the kudos that she gave the actress for um, expressing the, the, the need for women's rights and, you know, utilizing the platform such as the Oscars for that. Now, the funny thing is, you know, it's um, the thing uh, the thing that gets me with this is um, I, I, I read the, the exchanges between everyone. And first thing you, you have to think about is the fact that maybe this is a buildup for the inevitable collision course between AJ and Stephanie McMahon at WrestleMania. But as more and more websites pick up the story, it starts becoming more and more apparent that this is a real situation. AJ Lee um, said, your female wrestlers have record-selling merchandise and have starred in the highest-rated segments on the show several times, yet they receive a fraction of the wages and screen time of the majority of the male roster. Hashtag use your voice. Of course, Stephanie McMahon responded rather in a rather casual and non in a non-aggressive fashion by just saying thank you aj lee i appreciate your opinion hashtag use your voice as i said earlier in the broadcast i said that there were issues with um you know the wwe divas being misrepresented and um many many divas are speaking publicly about it last week i mentioned that nikki bella actually acknowledged the disparity between NXT's divas and WWE's divas with regard to match time. And I want to state the following. I have no issue with, with women's wrestling on a main platform like raw or SmackDown. My issue has, and always will be the fact that the women that are performing in some of these matches have not been trained correctly or do not deliver adequate matches. While, a, a, you know, a, a fact, a statement can be made that the women should have longer matches in order to solidify uh, their placement on the roster. I do have to, uh, you know, I do have to state that people should look at NXT, which is a one hour program. And the women on that program perform at, at, you know, at a very, very solid, solid level. Now, of course, the case can be made that the women in NXT are learning and working together on a consistent basis. But I also feel that the Divas have become, on the main roster, an extension of Total Divas. So what happens is, when that is, when when you look at that, you have to understand that these women are going out there and performing, but they are strictly performing for the sake of the, of the other television show. It's not for angle advancement on, in the women's division. No, it's not that at all. On the contrary... When you look at Natalia, the Bellas, and most of them, most of their situations are escalating moments from 
total divas. No real stories are being told in the divas division at this time, nor have they been told by the divas division in quite some time. Now, there's a lot of factors at fault here. Obviously, the number one is creative. Creative does a terrible job of creating engaging storylines for the female members of their roster. That's definitely a a big, big, big uh, elephant in the room. But on the flip side, you have to look at the fact that the ability of the roster on Raw isn't exactly uniform across the board. It took a bit of time for the deep for for Nikki and and Brie Bella to even be tolerable in the ring. Alicia Fox has improved, but the bulk of the women's wrestling is carried by Natalia, AJ, and to and and Paige to a degree. When you look at Summer Rae, when you look at Diva Marie, what uh, Diva Marie, when you look at Eva Marie, excuse me, and you'll see that there's a very very big disconnect with regards to the skill set and the skill level on that roster. While I agree that the Divas do need more time on television, what's the sense in giving them more time if it's going to be more time with shitty matches? And that's where my issue comes from. The Divas deserve more time, but the Divas deserve time if they can wrestle and put on good matches. Hair pulling and, 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 and you know forced forearm shots is not real wrestling. I invite you guys to look on... I invite you guys to YouTube... Uh, Taryn Terrell and Gail Kim in a ladder match in TNA. The Divas having ladder matches. Again, you know when you look at when you look at some of these uh, at some of these other promotions and you see the women performing there and you look at the roster currently on television every mo- every Monday night, you're gonna see that there's a big 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 disconnect. You know. Val adds that it doesn't help that the Divas show exposed that Eva Marie could give two fucks about training. Jay adds that if they fight only on one show, it gives them time to prep. I agree. I agree. I agree 110%. If you're going to put them on, on Raw and you're going to give them 10 minutes, you're going to give them three minutes, don't even waste anybody's fucking time. Don't. At that point, just like I said, and and you know, this this goes back. Send them down to NXT, or like Jay says, put them on SmackDown. Eva Marie does. Eva Marie's the best example of why divas wrestling. Well, you know the WWE divas currently on Raw are garbage. Eva Marie, Cameron, um, those those probably are the two biggest offenders. Summer Rae is passable. Uh, Natalia's good. Um, AJ, of course, is good. Paige is good. The Bella Twins depends. It fluctuates. Not great. Definitely not great, but not as terrible as they were. And this is what I'm saying. Um, you know, you look at, you look at a lot of these characters. You look at Emma. Emma was a good wrestler on NXT and she's on Raw and she sucks. Sucks. And these are, these are the things that, um, you know, that just really just don't work out. Now, Slick adds that Eva Marie and Cameron want to play games at the Oscars. It's funny that you brought that up. And the reason that those women were there, obviously, was to represent E and also because they were representing the WWE. You know, so them being at the Oscars, not a big deal. And honestly, I'd rather them be on the Oscars 
than stinking up the ring every week. Fuck it. Send them to every event possible. Send them to the Oscars. Send them to the X Games. Send them to the fucking Mountain Dew, the Mountain Dew Tour. Send them to the tent that they put up in, in Corona Park every Sunday. Anywhere. Send them anywhere except on my fucking television. I hate to say it. I'd rather that. Send them to the Oscars. Send them to the MTV Movie Awards. Send them to Spike TV's Guy's Choice. Send them to the fucking soap operas. I don't give a shit. But they are terrible. Terrible. Nothing nothing about them shows that they've improved in by any stretch of the imagination. You know? And this leads me to something that that's actually going to be a contest. I'm going to start doing this as a contest going forward. And I'm going to give you guys uh, a hashtag to use. I'm going to it's, it's a WWE alternate universe. And I'm going to put this on Twitter. And um, basically, I want to hear from you guys how you would want the WWE to be booked. We've joked about this at length. And I want to p- kind of see what you guys come up with with the hashtag WWE alternate universe, either on Twitter or on Facebook. And it could be anything. It could be who's the, the, the champion, who's running the company. So, for instance, uh, in the WWE alternate universe, John Cena would be a heel. Daniel Bryan would be champion. And Shane McMahon would be running the WWE. That's, you know, that's that's just a, uh, an example. In, in the alternate WWE universe, there would be a faction of Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar that are not only the tag team champions but have been the tag team champions for at least a year and a half and have been undefeated in all their matches. Something like that. And, and I, and I want to see what you guys come up with. And any of the really good responses, I will, I will read on air. And I think I'm going to find a way to make a contest out of it with uh, some of the best entries being uh, re- rewarded in some capacity. I think it would be cool to see what you guys come up with. And, um, you know, we talked about this at length. Uh, off air and I said it would be really cool to see how how many of you guys can be very very creative um I know I know a buddy of mine will appreciate this in my alternate WWE universe Big E and Ryback would be in a tag team called the big guys and Scott Steiner would be their manager (laughs) that 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 right there ladies and gentlemen is what I would like to see in 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 my alternate WWE universe Jay says in an alternate universe, the divas are doing, oh, come on, Jay. That's an easy out. <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, the uh, the issues with the divas are bigger than just a, a, a hashtag. And I see so many people on, on Twitter being very vocal about it. Uh, Corey Graves got a lot of shit about it on NXT this week. Because he said that if the women want opportunities, they got to make opportunities. And a lot of people gave him shit about it. And I, I totally agree. If you want an opportunity, you got to go out there and wrestle and make yourself more than just eye candy. And eye candy's easy. Anybody's going to cheer for the pretty chick in the room. <laughs> I just, I just got a communique from, from, for alternate WWE universe. And it is, it is... <laughs> This this is going to be real good. <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, you know, I do think that while it's very easy for everybody to jump on the Twitter bandwagon and be be a hashtag activist, the fact is that women's wrestling in the WWE is fucking terrible. 
And the only way that it's going to get better is if the women on the main roster step up because the chicks in NXT are coming for your spots. That's it. You know, Charlotte, Bailey, Sasha Banks, AJ Lee, Natalia, Paige to a degree, all talented wrestlers. Leaps and bounds ahead of most of the divas that are currently sucking up TV time currently. If you guys want better matches and you guys want better opportunities for the quote-unquote divas, don't be a hashtag activist. You know, go out there and, and, and make your opinions heard. The whole reason why social media is, is so popular with pro wrestling is because of the instant access. It gives wrestlers, promoters to, to the fans, and they can gauge the pulse of the fans as a whole. Go out there and instead of using hashtags and saying, oh, this chick should be pushed. That chick should be pushed. The fact is that you should go out there and use that hashtag and say, hey, we'd like a five-minute match, but we also would like you guys to send Cameron and, and Eva Marie down to the minors. Seriously. Or, or hashtag, you know, diva equality or whatever the fuck the hashtag is. I'd like to see Naomi not just be a valet for the Usos and actually go out there and have a good match. How about that? I'd like to an opera, I'd like to see Naomi actually challenge for the Divas title, but you know, nobody's ready for African American chick to to be to be Divas champion. Val says hashtag fire the Divas hashtag hire some knockouts. <laughs> Definitely very very interesting. Uh, I did want to give you guys an update with regards to Samoa Joe as Ring of Honor put out a press release announcing the return of Samoa Joe to Ring of Honor. The Samoan Submission Machine will be returning home to Ring of Honor on Saturday, March 7th in Baltimore, Maryland. So there you have it, ladies and gents. Samoa Joe is heading back to Ring of Honor for the time being, but do not discount the fact that Samoa Joe may end up in the WWE one way or the other because there's way too many guys speaking way too positive of Samoa Joe for it to go unnoticed by upper management. But for the time being, if you do want to see Samoa Joe, you're going to have to see him in Ring of Honor. All right, so two last things that I wanted to wrap, and we're going to wrap up the show for this week. The first is that um, PW Insider is reporting that Kevin Nash is all but confirmed as an inductee into the WWE Hall of Fame. He would be inducted as Diesel much like Scott Hall was inducted as Razor Ramon. And the reason why they want to do that is because there will, oh, this, will, this will keep the door open for a second induction, either as the Outsiders or as the NWO. So, I'm going to pose this question to you guys. Kevin Nash in the Hall of Fame, yes or no? Now, Kevin Nash going in the Hall of Fame as Kevin Nash or as part of the Outsiders or the NWO? Absolutely. Kevin Nash going in as Diesel, while Diesel was a you know a great part of the of the of the WWE 90s um, programming, I don't think that Diesel was you know as memorable as we'd like. I mean, him defeating Bob Backlund for the title was about as memorable as you get in his his feuds with Shawn Michaels. But Diesel, other than that, wasn't as memorable as Kevin Nash or as a member of, of the NWO or the Wolfpack. So. I'd rather I'd rather they hold off on inducting Kevin Nash and just induct the outsiders or induct the NWO because I think that doing that just is is a better thing to do. Inducting him as Diesel, I don't 
I don't dis- I don't agree with that shit at all. I don't think I don't think Diesel's career was as memorable as we would have liked for him to go in the Hall of Fame at this at this point. Again, if you guys disagree, I definitely would love to hear your arguments. The other thing I wanted to talk about is a rumor that was circulating that Brock Lesnar left WWE Raw on Monday night, even though he was scheduled for a segment, because there was a rumor floating around that Roman Reigns had failed a wellness test. Now, WWE has acknowledged this rumor as false, so I did want to dispel that. Um, A lot of people are saying that the reason Brock Lesnar did leave was because of a disagreement with management and had nothing to do with Roman Reigns or any sort of wellness violation. Of course, this could all be smoke and mirrors, but that is pretty much the official statement from the WWE. It is a, it is a rumor that is not true. Um, I think with WrestleMania so close, I don't think a guy like Roman Reigns would want to be popped for a wellness violation. But again, this is the WWE. They're trying to get fucking paid. So they could just as easily sweep that under the rug, much like they swept Randy Orton being a pothead under the rug till Evan Bourne pretty much set, shed some light on that. So there you have it, ladies and gents. Diesel possibly going into the Hall of Fame. Brock Lesnar pissed off with the WWE. The Divas are pretty much uh, in in the shitter, thanks to AJ Lee, and a bunch of other shit is in the books. Anyway, with that said, that is actually going to wrap up the show for this week. Uh, pretty uh, fast-paced show, and uh, let's take it home, shall we? You've just heard My Take Radio episode 275, which is aired live on Wednesday, February 25th, 2015. My Take Radio will be back Thursday, February 26th, 2015 at 11 p.m. for our gaming and entertainment edition. As always, you can watch, listen, and chat live by heading over to mtrlive.com every Wednesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Archived episodes of the show can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or via any of the other podcasting services. Our video episodes of the show are available on both YouTube channels, either My Take Radio TV on YouTube or Official Rage Works. As for social media, you can find My Take Radio on Twitter and Facebook. Feel free to stop by. You can interact with us on Twitter as well. We're always responding, running the uh, My Take Radio Twitter account. And of course, you can find our boards on Pinterest and our pages on Google Plus as well. As always, thank you guys for your continued support. MTR 275 is in the books. I am out of here. Peace. 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 Peace.